Hello and welcome to the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Uh, we will be speaking to many a person who is an actor, a writer, a director, a singer, an improviser, a workshop leader, a producer. If you're living in Brighton, working in Brighton, or indeed if just one of your tour dates is in Brighton, we will be sure to be chatting to you. It is actually our first episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. I hope that you know you're as excited and intrigued and indeed as visibly underwhelmed as both my guests are tonight. Uh, so, uh, go on. <laughs> Thank you for your whoops. Uh, I should um, introduce you guys. Uh, I have Sarah Johnson. Hello. Hello. And you're a representative, I guess, of Sweet Venues. Correct. What? I am the assistant venue manager, Brighton. Oh, so so Sweet uh, Venues Brighton suggests that there is more than one Sweet Venue. Uh, yes, that is correct. We uh, pop up in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, we uh, have a year-round venue in Brighton, but we also uh, expand uh, for uh, Brighton Fringe. We take on uh, several other venues. Uh, and we also occasionally do things in Inverness and also Dundee. Oh, thanks. So why, why, why there as well? What's the story behind that? Well, uh, Sweet Venues came into being uh, to be a venue at Edinburgh Fringe, uh, and that's been going on for the last, I don't know, maybe 12 years, I think. Uh, and uh, our now managing director, artistic director, J.D. Henshaw, lives in Dundee. So he uh, he does uh, theatre classes in Inverness. Uh, yeah. He produces and uh, creates work in Dundee. Uh, and we run venues in, in Brighton and Edinburgh. So I'm getting the impression from that that actually the Dukebox Theatre in Brighton, that actually predates Sweet Venues? Uh, the Yes, the Dukebox came into being uh, from uh, the former landlord at the Iron Duke Hotel, Peter yeah. Lindars, uh, despairing the fact that his back room was uh, garnering him less money than he might, he might otherwise wish, uh, and musing, I've always wanted to have a theatre. Uh, so his brother-in-law, who used to, who at that point was the uh, head carpenter uh, at the uh, Palladium wow. came in, created a stage, created wings. Uh, they turned around uh, and were like, well, who are we going to get to run it? Uh, and one of the managers there, uh, Mel, uh, knew Mill Goble uh, yes. and said, well, I know someone who could run this theatre for you. And voila, the Jukebox Theatre came to be. Fantastic. And has that been going on since? Uh, October 2012 is when we opened. Uh, I came on the scene uh, for Fringe 2013. Uh, essentially, I came along to help Mill out with some box office shifts, etc. Uh, and then I never went away. And she kept giving me more things to do. Uh, and now we appear to be running a venue. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, hello, Guy. Uh, Guy Wah. Hello. 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 So you're, uh, one of the things you're representing is ZLS, uh, I want to say theatre. Yes, uh, ZLS theatre, but drop an exclusive. Go on, tell me. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, the company will be changing name. We will be now going to our actual official name, which is ZLS Creative. Ooh. ZLS Creative. Uh, and uh, I guess I should ask you, what does ZLS stand for? ZLS stands for Zen-like state. It is what I aspire to live my life in. So, uh, just before you reach peak Brighton, could, could you uh, <laughs> quite, quite, could you qualify what what that means for you? Yeah, certainly. Well. Um, People misuse the term Zen-like uh, in a number of ways, and they, the, the, uh, people often use the term Zen-like to mean somebody who is comatose um, and not responding, but actually it's the complete opposite. Zen-like state, to be in a Zen-like state is to be completely present in the moment and dealing with whatever is in, in your path, um, 
confidently and without letting it um, bother you negatively. So the example that I was uh, once given was an example of a tennis player who was just responding to every uh, shot that was played towards him uh, yeah. exquisitely by responding smoothly and um, not not getting flustered when something when he didn't play the right shot. Sure. And just just playing the game. Uh, with a real flow, and that's the state I aspire to live my life in. I, that makes a lot of sense in terms of because I do a lot of I teach improvisation and that whole idea that we speak about being zen, we mistake it for being a, a passive mm, uh, thing. We actually, it's much more active. Yeah, that. definitely. It's about being entirely present and being engaged in what you're doing. Um, but it's about managing your own emotions and your your own state to stop you. Uh, to stop the negative emotions and indeed the positive ones causing you to do something which perhaps isn't desirable. Okay, and so I, I'm guessing that um, in order to be that present in the moment and to be that at ease in your responses and to be that active, that that's not a thing that just happens overnight. You've got to do a bit of work to earn that. Yeah? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is the culmination really of my life in Brighton. I moved to Brighton in 2008 um, and I was a completely unrecognisable person. And uh, I've done a lot of work on becoming more mindful, um, small M, and uh, and more compassionate, I guess, as a person. And I've never subscribed to a particular religion or a particular uh, set of way of way of life, or you know, to a particular uh, cult, for want of a better term. Yeah. Um, I just pick and choose the things that I le- I've learned since I've been in Brighton to to find which ones apply to me and which ones I can use. And I found that uh, mindfulness is 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 the one that that is most prominent. Sure, I, I'm liking the fact that uh, five six years back you you were a completely unrecognisable person. Not that you were unrecognisable compared to now. There's literally that you were <laughs> an unrecognisable person. Uh, but we won't dwell on that too much. Um, so you you were what you came to Brighton and you started improvising, or you started acting, or yeah. Well, two thousand eight I moved to Brighton. Um, two thousand ten I started acting. I did a two week workshop at the Academy of Creative Training. Uh, or act as it's known lately yes. um, and that really changed my life um, I suddenly realised that the only reason that I wasn't being the things I wanted to be and doing the things that I wanted to do was because I wasn't being the things I wanted to be and doing the things I wasn't to do uh, I wanted to do is it that simple it's 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 knowing that you can change things yourself and you are the only person who can change things but you to do that you need to let go of the things that you think you are um which is difficult if you're not prepared to make that confident step into what you want to be so actually by being in an acting environment in an acting workshop and playing around with lots of the little things that make up that individual sure it makes it more of a a, a journey than a, a you know, a horrid, great big step way across the chasm. You're doing, you, you're going across a, a footbridge. Sure. I mean, um, you've um, used the term journey, so we're going to have to deduct five points from you. <laughs> uh, although it's still peak Brighton, so, so so you're okay on that. I'm aware, um, pa- painfully, I'm painfully aware that we're just a couple of white guys talking, and uh, we gave Sarah about eight words at the beginning of the podcast, and now we've ignored <laughs> you. Uh, so h- hello again. Um, what, what this is sounds like a, a quite a, a peak Brighton question what brings you to this point or what has brought you to this point now wow okay uh so uh like like guy I'm not from uh not from Brighton and probably the accent gives that away although not everyone can hear it I'm, I'm fr- originally from Australia I arrived in the UK in 1998 I think you're from Gloucester oh no I know no there's a lot of confusion about those two places I know uh 
And so, so I arrived in 98, bimbled around, did a whole load of things, uh, and was living in London, lived in London for eight years. Uh, and in the end, what I wanted, the reason I came to Brighton was that I had friends here, but I also, I just wanted to be able to take, go travel for 20 minutes and be at a friend's house and be able to just drop in for a cup of tea. I just wanted that closeness of, of friendships and not have to take an hour's tube journey to cross town to get somewhere or indeed go to someone's place for dinner and have to leave at half past 10 because we had to get the last train tube home. Uh, so yes, I just wanted to be in, in close proximity to the people that I was living with and, and uh, hanging out with and playing with. Sure. I mean, I, I yeah, I have friends who live in London, and it can be terrifying if I visit them in London. Um, I can be back in Brighton by the time they've crossed town. Yes. Um, well, I, did, I did four months in London a few years ago. You, you uh, speak that as if it was a prison sentence. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was. Um, I was. I was. I was locked inside a, uh, a, a or as effectively a studio flat inside a um, fence with razor wire on the top. So. Oh wow! Sorry, I, I didn't. What? I didn't mean to. With, with a landlord who was treating me as if I was a criminal. So you're not far off there. But my, that wasn't my wow. point. My original point was actually that. Um, I, 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 I lived there for four months um, um, uh, for various reasons I, I, I moved back um, but when I moved back I now live next to Brighton Station and I can still get to see my friends in London in the same amount of time it was taking me to get across London when I was living there yeah yeah I, I have to say, uh, in defence, I did love my time in London. I got to do some amazing things. I got to see amazing things. It was so easy to go to art galleries and museums and, and this, that and the other. And I do miss that. Uh, and theatre and, and other shows and other things in, in London. I really loved it. But actually, the 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 effort with it that it took to live in London, mm. I just found myself wanting life to be a little easier to give me more energy and more time and oomph to to do things that i actually care about i i, I just I, I just love being able to go to london and do all those things and then leave it behind okay i wrote a song about it in fact ah. yeah. um I, i'm going to ask you not to sing that song right now <laughs> Um, I mean, and, and obviously this this uh, podcast and any of our conversations are not about necessarily about being negative about London. London uh, is a gorgeous place, and, and I adore it. What's quite fascinating about Brighton, even if we don't talk about the uh, the theatre um, world of Brighton or the creative world, it's there's something quite psychologically stimula stimulating and soothing about having a horizon about yeah. having a sea, so that, that you you don't have three hundred sixty mm. degrees that are concrete. True. True. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I moved here. Yeah. Um, I'd always wanted to live by the sea, but I didn't want to live in a sleepy seaside town where nothing happened. And, and I actually moved down here because I came down here um, with a girl I was seeing, uh, and, and her plan was to move to Brighton. Um, she's still not here. Um, I, I moved down here about six months later because I came down here for the first time, walked down Sydney Street, saw the colours, saw the shops, um, fell in love with. You know everything that you could buy here quite quickly and easily that you know you'd need to you could not buy in Leicester. Um, legal, by the way, just before I know what it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, then the colours and the vibe and there was this you know things like the posters in the windows, if, you know all the different things that were going on musically and creatively because I was big into my music at the time and um, yeah and I fell, fell in love with the place there I, and then. But 
it's the sea that was was the main pole. Yeah, I do remember when I was um, visiting Brighton, but not yet living here. I do remember one of the attractive things about Brighton was every time you passed a coffee shop or a pub, there was at least two or three people who were clearly working on their great novel. And, <laughs> uh, they were, you know, they, they had notes. They had a, a, a an in, uh, a computer that was uh, flipped up, probably not um, tuned to the internet, and they were going to be creating the next big thing. Um, it may be that they didn't actually succeed in that, but it's a lovely sort of process to have. Oh, a guy, I was, uh, we were speaking earlier about um, ZLS Theatre. I asked what ZLS stood for, but I guess I want to ask the question again, but uh, more um, prosaically. What does, what does ZLS Creative stand for? Well, ZLS Theatre initially was set up to uh, put on new theatre shows, put on contemporary new writing, which is what I wanted to do. Um, I also wanted it to be a social enterprise, so it was more than just uh, another theatre company. Indeed, that was the tagline, not just another theatre company. Um, and we'd put on a few fringe shows, uh, all new writing. Um, but as uh, over time, that has that has changed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ZLS Theatre, or ZLS Creative, as it's about to become, is just me. Um, and one of the things I wanted to do was create immersive dining experiences as a profit-making side of the business that would the profits of which would then fund Fringe Theatre Show and enable sure. new writing to be able to be produced with, a, with some sort of budget. It was never going to be huge, but some sort of budget was my dream. But those immersive theatre shows... I've got project documents where I've, you know, I've done all the all the costs, all the expenditures, uh, projected income, and what have you. And we should it, talk about those it, at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was going to be quite a long journey to to getting uh, to making those things profitable and getting the initial investment was going to be the difficult. Well, the logistics of putting on an immersive show are are almost impossible to comprehend. There's a couple of uh, local companies, professional companies, who do do uh, immersive theatre, and. I can only imagine that their budgets are, are wince making. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've costed them up, and then, then they're not. I mean, compared to Fringe Theatre, they're huge, but it, it, sure. it, it, they didn't scare me as much as I thought they would do those numbers. Um, and even things like insurances and what have you um, aren't hugely expensive, and there are ways of. Um, of negating some of the costs as well so you know you, you hire a venue um, and you can perhaps bring in a provider to provide the alcohol side of things you know rather than having to manage that sort of thing yeah if the venue hasn't got it um, and you can bring in outside caterers so you, you can do certain things to manage your costs so that ultimately I would be outsourcing those those parts of the show and then my responsibility will be to produce the actual theater side of things and, and obviously manage the the promotion and the marketing. So what is ZLS about now? I mean, you, you mentioned briefly about uh, the social enterprise aspect of it. Yeah. Is that still an active element? Yeah, it is, just not in the same way. Uh, I mean, the what's actually happened is that we ended up running brightonactors.co.uk website, uh, which is a, a central resource for anyone who's looking to for resources as an actor in Sussex or indeed uh, wants to produce theatre in Brighton and Hove. It's really helpful. Um, so yeah, that's 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 something which, you know, it, there's no income coming from that at all. So no. that, that is purely a, a community venture. Uh, and then we also run Hove Grown um, in, in partnership with uh, sweet venues so um, those two things have kind of become the the main focus and actually we've moved a little bit away from theatre as well so we, the last show we did was a comedy show and the next show we're doing is a comedy show and I think we're probably going to be encompassing a lot of different genres and, and creative activities as we go forward so sure. I wanted to remove the theatre to, to remove that restriction. So, so indeed it's not about restriction it's about um, having a resource 
the legal name of the company is actually ZLS Creative Productions Limited, and that was done deliberately at the time because initially I wanted, I had a, a vision for ZLS Theatre, ZLS uh, Films, ZLS <laughs> whatever else. Um, and have, have ZLS things. Cola. Uh, maybe, maybe, okay, okay. yeah, that could do that. Uh, but no, but joking aside, I mean, with it being a social enterprise as opposed to a charity, that opens up so many doors to you. That was yeah. part of my thinking: was that mm. you can create anything and and make a brand from it and and take that forward. So um, that was my plan. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 gone a little in a slightly different direction now. And also, my own uh, because it is only me running it, my own life has gone in a slightly different direction now yeah. and I'm fortunate to be able to focus on my own acting so actually there'll be less activity going through it and the activity that goes through it will be a creative output in some form or another but it won't necessarily be theatre okay so um, let's speak about theatre for a moment or more accurately um, at the time of recording we've just come off the back of um, uh, events for International Women's well not actually Women's Day but International Women's Week as it was for the jukebox yes yeah uh, I was uh, we merged with Sweet Venues uh, I guess at the back of 2015 going into 2016 yeah uh, and I'd always kind of wanted to do something around International Women's Day that celebrated the talent of the women that we have uh, that we come in, in contact with through the Jukebox Theatre. So many actresses, many comedians, um, musical performers, etc. And I was just searching around thinking, well, why, why don't we do a series of events around International Women's Day uh, and, you know, and really just big up the talent of the people that we're working with, of the women that, that we're working with. And... Uh, I searched around for a name actually and I was trying to come up with all kinds of things and I was I was being terribly clever around blue stockings and this is and that's is yes. and but if but everything I came up with I just either sounded really twee or you really had to know your suffragette history and sure. it was like you know I just want something that's accessible and I just kept referring it to women's week and it kind of stuck well it does it was, what it says on the tin exactly women's week at the Duke box theater nice simple does it <laughs> and I, you and I had many conversations around the time that that was being formed about what the I guess the agenda was although yep. even the agenda is a, is a troubling term mm. um, or what purpose it exactly serves um, exactly Guy you and I were speaking uh, earlier before the recording about because um, um, Brighton Actors Co.uk uh, puts out castings um, how often would you what, what's the percentage of male castings to female castings oh you know what I did I did some figures on this a while ago and um uh, it's it's I, off the top of my head i would say there's probably between 70 and 80 percent male castings and we know already anecdotally that or perhaps it's been proven that um the percentage of female actors is exactly that 80 percent uh yeah, and I mean, so the, the there's a definite disparity and imbalances to the amount of available female actors and the amount of roles that are written for men. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I cast a play a couple of years ago, and I had two male roles and one female role, and um, I could have I saw ten um, women for the female role, and I would have cast every single one of them um, in that role. And uh, but, because they're all brilliant. Because <clears throat> they're all great. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then the 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 two male roles, um, I couldn't cast one of them. I had to do it myself in the end because I just couldn't. That was partly due to not being anyone suitable, but I only saw probably, I think, four men for the two male roles. 
So four people put themselves forward, yeah. four men put themselves forward. I even tried um, rewriting, because my own script, I even tried rewriting the script, rewriting the role as a female role, uh, and invited a couple of the, the women back to, to try out for the role as a female role. Um, and it just, I, I didn't felt it, it quite worked for it in the end. So um, given that I'd written the role for myself as well, I was probably a little bit biased towards it. Sure, <laughs> so that, that deserves probably the entire podcast of itself yeah. about uh, why... And not necessarily yourself, but why one a male writer um, might feel more comfortable writing for men, or oh, that's where their wheelhouse is. That's where they're naturally drawn to. I mean, I mem- I know that I've had conversations with male writers who say, "Well, I I, I can't write for women. You mm-hmm. know, I I don't know how to write for women. I can't get inside of women's psychology." And to which my response tends to be, "Well, presumably you're not an orc or a Dalek or, or an <laughs> alien," and so that. I'm not necessarily stating that 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 was your defence or your excuse or even your reason, but it's an interesting thing that we appear to be, the default character appears to be male. And that's some of, I guess, that the whole point of me saying all of that is not a defence, but certainly an acknowledgement of why we were creating these events for International Women's Week. Absolutely. I mean, I wanted to cut across things like I just recent uh, in advance of of certainly not just the companion which is the uh performance uh that i initially asked you to curate and now this year was curated by chelsea newton thank you uh so uh not just the companion uh came around uh because i'd heard uh um Stephen burkoff talking about uh the iconic male actors and uh, the great actors of our time and of course they were all men uh and and i was just sitting there going but there's dame judy dench and dame maggie smith and 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 dame helen mirren and 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 hundreds and hundreds of other women what why are there no women in your list uh and you know going he was going on about how you know oh you know i i've seen their dane and and i've seen their leah and i'm just like yeah, but women are never going to get the chance to perform those roles tr- in a if if in, in traditional productions. Uh, so what does that mean that women can never be great? Uh, to which, of course, I say bullshit. But um, I just yeah, that was part of the conversation that we'd had. But that was also developing out of other conversations that we'd had about um, about cast iron and your writing garden- guidance for for potential writers for Cast Iron about how you encourage them to write for either gender neutral or to encourage them to write for women. We will softly weigh them towards writing for women because the default mechanism, the default character appears to be male. And nine times out of ten, there appears to be no good reason for that. The stories are not inherently male. Exactly. Um, And that was part of our thinking behind not just a companion, because it was an idea that we'd been discussing before the International Women's Week anyway, and it seemed to be a good fit of... uh, doing uh, if the speeches are good speeches then they don't necessarily have to be defined by their maleness and because a lot of in film and in stage a lot of those iconic speeches that no, no doubt Burkhoff was speaking about are male 
because uh, they're written for men mm. and so we wanted to take that out of the sandbox and say well let's let's the, let the women have a go of the games well in 2016 i got to see uh, i didn't get to see the show this year because it was sold out which was marvelous uh, and i had to work the box office but the, i managed to see a performance the year before in 2016 uh, and i saw a marvelous performance um by shanali uh which was a piece from the wolf of wall street yeah and it was electric, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that the character, unless, unless I'd been reading the the program and etc. I would never have known that the role she was performing was written for a man because she was she inhabited the role as a good act, actor does. Absolutely, I mean, I did get to see it uh, this year in twenty seventeen. Um... And that seemed to be even more expanded upon. There were at least Yay. three or four speeches that were they were about anger or frustration or sexuality, but none of them were about gender. There were at least two speeches that, um, because pleasingly I was not familiar with the speeches in their original inception, uh, I genuinely had difficulty understanding how they would have sounded coming out of a male voice awesome. um, and so that's been very pleasing I mean that was uh, we call it not just a companion because um, I have a, a passing interest in uh, Doctor Who and it's often, a problem Andrew it's, <laughs> it's never a problem that's what's going to get us a hate mail that, that, <laughs> that, that, that statement right there um, but uh, oh, I guess you. the idea of that because um, there's often a discussion in, in Doctor Who circles about whether or not the in- next incarnation should be played by a woman yep. and um, many many opinions generally the the response I, I I've yet to hear the here's me throwing the gauntlet down I've yet to hear a, a coherent argument against, uh, for against it being a woman literally done I mean it's been a, a white male many times over and the strongest argument seems to be well that's the way that it is which I'm sure many women can hear their own skin clenching I when they hear that argument I genuinely cannot think of a way of responding to it. I, I just I, I, I mean <laughs> you talk about James Bond which is the other iconic role which people yeah. talk about gender swapping and, and you know bringing in different races and what have you if there is one defence for James Bond, it's the character is called James. Yes. Doctor Who is Doctor. Well, also, Doctor Who is a shape-shifting alien. Yeah, exactly. he, he, it's, it's literally written into literally his DNA, or that character's DNA. And I, I buy the argument of if you're saying that the Doctor always has to be a white man, then... Uh, quite aside from anybody of colour what you're saying to all the little girls who are watching the show are going you, know, you never get to be the leader you never get to be the one with the ideas you always have to be the helper you always have to be the companion and that indeed is what inspired that title is not just a companion Yeah. Um, and so and yeah as you've mentioned earlier we're, we're very pleased to have that event curated by uh, Chelsea of Pop Heart Productions this year so it was an entirely without my gibbering interference it was an entirely female led female inspired female curated event this year yeah no that was brilliant um i have to admit that the in 2016 its first uh iteration uh i was quite willing and happy to uh be asked and asked to defend why i got you to to curate it uh one of the one of the reasons was because you had access to you know the performing and performer resources but i also you are such a, a fierce feminist ally that i had no problem in in including you in, as part of my part of my program at all it was an interesting point for me i was very hyper aware of oh, that I'm sure. of of 
you know, in a way inhabiting a female space yep. by curating it. So yep. um, that was one of... Uh, our criteria for handing over to Chelsea this year quite apart from the fact that Chelsea is a magnificent uh, producer and director herself yeah but I also but that was also another reason that you know I knew you we discussed it and knew you were going to do that and that just made you all the more suitable in my opinion because you were going to hand it off you didn't want to just be the man that runs the women's week stuff and also (laughs) a good idea is a good idea and you can't help being a man you know, <laughs> there, are, there, 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 are, there are so many uh, websites that use that defense. So let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, um, but thank you. Um, we've spoken uh, briefly uh, about Hove Grown. And mm. I guess it, it behooves us to sort of, um, I've never used the word behoove Ooh. before. And now I'm using it in a, a podcast where that's now public information. I don't even know what it means. Can we have a definition? It, it falls upon me. And now I've said, oh, okay. now I've said that. I'm not entirely convinced that that is indeed the correct um, uh, definition of behoove. But it does behoove me uh, to uh, ask, what, what, what is Hove Grown? Brighton and Hove Grown um, is, is quite an important part of it. Um, yes. Brighton and Hove Grown is a festival of new writing. All shows have not been performed for the first time more than two years ago. Was that the right sentence construction? I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, no shows have been performed for the first time more than two. That wasn't any better, was it? <laughs> so let's start again uh, because we're talking about you know the the putting together, the putting it's together late, of words. I'm tired. It's all right. Sweetie. Um. So yes. Um. Sarah, what is Hove Grown? <laughs> so Hove Grown is a festival uh, for new writing, which doesn't just mean plays or things that are written. It can be devised pieces as well. Uh, it's performance in general. Uh, and it is uh, to encourage people who live and work in Brighton or Hove, the creative folk that, that inhabit our city, to encourage them to come out and put that project on the stage, get it out there, get it performed uh it's so easy to sit on a script it's so easy to sit on on an idea and go oh well i'm a bit busy this month or i've got to do that i've I've got to wash my hair i don't know so Um, it's a contrived deadline oh absolutely that's its precise and specific uh purpose amongst other things because we all have great ideas are magnificent and fantastic and they will remain magnificent and fantastic (laughs) as long as they stay inside our heads exactly that uh and so we wanted to make sure that uh we we kind of gave it some guidelines so you need to uh live and or work and or have a very strong connection to Brighton & Hove. Um, so it could be your director, it could be your producer, you, you know, you might have... Co- yeah, it could be your cast. You might have spent every holiday of your life down in Brighton. You know, it's having that strong connection to the city. Uh, and, um, and yeah, for pieces that are no older than two years old or performed for the first time, uh, two years previously <laughs> there you go I got out of it um, and yeah it's just it's a it's a passion project uh, that um, was a was a wonderful blend of uh, of ZLS and Sweet Venues yeah. Sweet Venues is very very much about uh, what can we do to support performers through uh, their creative uh, process um, well, Sweet called themselves performer-led venues. Yes. Um, and 
you know, is LLS has a commitment to new new writing and new performance. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the two things came together quite nicely, really. They do. Um, uh, and you know, it's it's been it's been a really easy process working with Sweet because they they know what they're doing with 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 venues and with performers. Um, and we also share the value of, of keeping everything affordable, both yes. the performers and the audiences yep. as well, because that's a very important thing, because there are some fantastic festivals that anybody can access, uh, but some that's often limited to anybody with X amount of money. Sure. So um, Hove Grown, obviously, it's, as you've said, it's a nurturing festival that is uh, based in um, Brighton and Hove. Um, so how particularly pleased with you yourselves were you when you came up with the title Hove Grown? I, I think that fell out of the... Was it you or was Mill? I, I had a meeting initially with, with Mill. Yeah. Um, and then I had a, a meeting with you yeah. and we finally decided to do it. And at one of them, I, I just... I was talking about... Um, Brighton Hove Grown talent, and then we just it was immediately went Hove Grown. Yeah, that was it. No, I think it was your conversation with Mill. Was I it think, Mill? Yeah, I think you came yeah. to us with that sort of semi semi gestated, and yeah, it's it the obvious also grown being uh, development, grown uh, being plants that are being nurtured and growing and changing mm. and developing, and and just this idea that that the uh, ecosystem uh, of four performers in in Brighton, we we just want to find more ways to get more creativity out there um, to develop both our audiences uh, across the city, uh, to develop our companies, so that when they go to do things like Brighton Fringe or Edinburgh Fringe or any of the other sort of national fringe festivals, that that the <clears throat> that the companies and the and the talent that's going out there have, you know been through a system yes. and have gained you know they've trodden the board several several times and kind of are more comfortable and more sure of themselves and just get out there and, and make a splash and that's yeah so we're talking about um hove grown as an as an ongoing thing obviously yep. at the time of recording uh, it's it's fully booked all the uh, performers and companies are uh, booked indeed it, at the time of recording it opens this Friday it does um, and tickets are on sale so please do come along <laughs> as long as, as long as you're listening to this uh, podcast um, you know prior to the 24th, prior to the 24th yes March well no prior to the 2nd of April which is the closing well, day indeed <laughs> but, but that um, underlines a point that it's um, an ongoing thing it actually returns next year as well it does we made the initial commitment uh, to to uh, having the festival run for three years because we figured that there was just no point in being a one-hit wonder. Uh, it so it happens so often in Brighton that people come up with an idea and put all their energy into year one, and then disappear without a trace. And it's like, well, what have we learnt? What have we gained? Where are we going? What's you know? It was like, no, we want to commit to three years to make sure that that we give the festival every opportunity and uh, to to grow, to develop, and also to to actually sustain the artists who we're asking to take part. So the basic point being that if somebody was to discover this podcast, I, I don't know, in late October 2017, that would roughly be a really good time to actually get in touch. Absolutely, absolutely. Going to the website, which is hovegrown.org, org.uk yeah. okay uh, yeah. uk. um we will have information on there on um when registration is about to open if the registration isn't opened or that information isn't on there you can sign up to the newsletter and we will let you know as soon as it is open absolutely but 
Yeah, the point being is that we're going to celebrate our third anniversary next year uh, and we're going to make it as big big and as splashy as we can because uh, I think we've learned a lot over the last couple of years and uh, I think we have some very strong ideas now about what makes a good festival, what works, um, how to help and support our performers. Uh, but I really hope that every year that this goes on that we learn more and more and, and can continue to improve it. Uh, but it does mean that we'll definitely 100% going ahead for 2018. Uh, and then what, 95% certain? Yeah, I mean, certainly we, we, we are looking each year as a, to, to build on what we learn. And um, as we go forward, we're hopeful of turning Hove Grown into its own entity and, yep. um, uh, and, and developing it going forward. So, yeah, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't continue past next year. No, no, I, you know, I... I'm getting so much lovely feedback from our performers about what they've gained from it. Sometimes not what they're expecting to gain from it, but the, all the th different things that they can learn about themselves, about their process, about their piece, etc., etc. Um, I can't see a reason why we wouldn't go ahead. No, absolutely. Testicles. So, um, I guess uh, one of the major things about Hope Grown is that uh, you're always going to commit to it for a three-year plan, no matter what, even if nobody turned up. Oh, yeah. Well, um, for day, for Festival One, sorry, I was going to call it Event One. There's more than one event. Um, so, for Festival Year One, we were just, we're going to suck it and see. We're going to see what happens, uh, open it out, find out whether anyone's interested, uh, find out whether any audience are interested. Uh, and uh, it was pleasing to have a resounding yes come back. Yeah, we had we had less than four months just over four months i think to put it together yeah from uh idea to actual um opening delivery. doors yeah and so we didn't know what what it was going to be and we had we initially we, we said you know we set ourselves a target of 15 shows the first year deciding we'd be happy with 10 and uh at one point we had 32 and i think we finished at 29 in the yep. end um so that was that was that was really pleasing um and then about a thousand people through the doors thousand people through the door yeah um, amazing then, yeah this year we've got 37 shows as well so let's talk about those shows i mean I, i'm loath to um start doing a, a list of shows uh i'm certainly not going to get into the thing of just being a 10 minute advert because uh, <laughs> that's gonna that we where we end up being quite dull but uh and so advanced apologies to anybody that we don't mention uh but what sort of things can we expect in um hove grow in 2017 well it covers theater comedy cabaret um spoken word and uh kids and youth uh, and you're in for what four different venues four different venues yep uh, and we've got one workshop involved in that as well so we've got quite a range of stuff so uh, our venues are uh, the Duke Box Theatre, which is on Waterloo Street, Artista Studios, which is on Waterloo Street. Then we have uh, the Claremont, which is on Second Avenue. Uh, and up on Montefiore Road, we have the Purple Playhouse. Uh, these are our four venues. Uh, they uh, produce work or support work uh, present work all year round, uh, but are also fringe venues. And one of one of the original ideas uh, behind uh, Hove Grown, not only to support acting, actors, performers, creators in, in Brighton and Hove, was to actually showcase uh, some of the amazing venues in Hove. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many places putting out work, and yet people turn around and go, oh, but there's nothing in Hove. Yes, there is. There totally is. There absolutely is. And each year, as each year goes by, we want to showcase more and more of those. 
So that underlines a point which I can't remember if we spoke about before or if we spoke about it before recording. Uh, so the jukebox theatre, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, a controversial question. It, it is, is that in Brighton or is that in Hove? Oh, it's most definitely in Hove. Oh, okay. Hove actually, darling. Oh, okay. Um, the border, I believe, is just a little bit w- uh, west of Bedford Place. Bedford Place is where the New Venture Theatre yes. lives. Uh, and it's just a little teeny tiny bit west of that. So it's not even like uh, we can um, say that in Brighton our version of West Side Story is divided by Waitrose. So that's not a thing then? No. no. Well, it is almost. Wait, Waitrose and Taj. I well, mean, of course, yes. it's particularly Brighton. <laughs> Very middle class and and multicultural. Excellent. Uh, we Bankers. don't. Yeah. Thank you. We need. To, we're going to edit that out <laughs> later. Um, so, um, yeah, what types of shows do we have coming? I, I, as I say, we're, we're not going to talk about every single show, but what sort of shows do we have coming up? One of the things I absolutely adore about this festival, but also the way that we uh, program at Sweet Venues, is that it's it is so damn eclectic. We have uh, magic shows. We have uh, shows for young people uh, that are musical based uh, and also bubble based uh, that is you know as in floaty floaty bubbles as opposed um, to that's not going there okay <laughs> as, oppo- as opposed to bubble wrong? tea as opposed to bubble tea there oh, we I go see. Yes, yes. keeping it family oriented something's yes. gone wrong when I'm reining you in <laughs> mm. but you know there's forum theatre there's comedy there's, there's character based comedy there's stand up comedy there's poetry there's spoken word the two sometimes cross over, but are not necessarily the same. There's theatre in the round. There's theatre uh, in prose arch. There is uh, music. There is just so much stuff. Um, I, We've got everything. We've got everything from, from people who put on the show, their very first show for the very sure. first time, to um, people like Rose Collis, who's a very experienced um, and published writer, yes. a journalist. Um, she's convert. She's converted that's not the word um her adapted book, adapted thank you adapted her book uh, the monstrous regime colonel barker's monstrous regime into the trials of colonel barker um for oh, the monstrous sp- regime stage. that's an early feminist uh, phrase as well i seem to remember entirely likely um i okay, have good. to admit that i don't know about that one that one's gone straight <laughs> over my head yes and so so you know for example we've got so we've got the trials of colonel barker yeah. we have um a, a show called stitch it by Nellie Lewis, which is uh, a solo show that is um, physical theatre. Um, I believe it doesn't have much spoken word. I haven't yet seen it, so I, I, I have. I do know it's been around town a lot. Do come and see it. I've have Bobby heard it's Award, very good. Know whatever that is. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. from, from Edinburgh. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's Broadway yeah. Baby, I think. Does the Bobby? That's right. Yeah. Yes, uh, but then we've also got. Um, uh, Adrian Jameson, who is doing Dr. D's Tales of Myth and Legends, which is uh, him uh, taking to the stage and literally uh, telling telling tales that are inspired by objects upon the stage. He gets people up to help him. Uh, there is magic, uh, which I am sort of just looking for it. Sorry. David Terrence. Uh, that's David it. Terrence Fried, Fried Mind Show. Yeah, that's the Claremont. Um, that's him doing it's magic and comedy so um, I guess the thing is that we, we've spoken about it being very eclectic as, yep. the, as the sweet venues itself is and we've talked about it being you can see pretty much whatever you want which actually can be a bit of an overwhelming thing to say to a uh, potential audience member if you if you if we say to you oh you get to see anything you want that we tend to sort of go uh, what does that mean but actually there's a sense of 
if you could you, you the pricing as well allows you to take a bit of a risk you can absolutely definitely. every that's part that's one of the main things behind the pricing of our festival um so most shows are under 10 pounds uh, all uh, shows are under 10 pounds um, yeah sorry under, yeah yeah, all shows are £10 and under, uh, majority of them between 8 and 5. Uh, we want it to be a thing that people can take a punt on, that, that you new, new writing is is hard sometimes to sell to people. It's like, well, you're going to come along and you're not going to know what you, you're going to sure. see and you don't know whether you're going to like it, but that's okay yeah. because you're, you're, you're taking that chance because the chances are is not only will you like it, but that you will love it. Well, it's a gateway drug, really, isn't it? Because yes. you are. I mean, yes, it e- is. Even if it's <laughs> even if it is just five quid, uh, and it's an hour of your time. Yeah. In today's uh, busy life, that, that's still a big ask, really. Yeah. Uh, you may have babysitters to arrange. You may mm-hmm. have that person that you've really promising to be catching up for coffee for the past ten years and never got around to doing it. Sure, sure. And so you, there's going to be a bit of a demand on you to actually walk down to the jukebox or the claremont or wherever and um see that show and generally speaking i mean indeed entirely speaking they're, they're, they're of quality we're not we're not actually taking that much of a risk no no we're not um and yeah i i i'm the, the just important, speechless in a way <laughs> the important thing is is that you know these shows are ready to be presented that they're not. Uh, they might not be the final article. They might. They might. They're not going to be the show that goes to the West End. So they might have the title "Work in Progress," but that's not an indication that they're not ready. No, absolutely. It, it it's often you know, particularly with comedians, it can be trying out new material and finding out uh, what works and what doesn't. I mean, even established comedians do that. Absolutely. But there's a beauty of being in the audience to know that what you're seeing is is so live and the 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 performer in front of you is taking as much of a risk as you are you know they're putting themselves out there and they don't know how it's going to be and whether you're going to like it and they're putting themselves completely at your mercy that's you know that's quite a a powerful thing so and the beauty of live theatre is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it will work magnificently and you just don't know which show you're going to see that night. So let's ask you both a loaded question, oh um, yes. which is this. Um, out of this festival, and you are allowed to be entirely selfish about your answer, what mm-hmm. show or shows uh, are you looking forward to? Uh, a guy, I'll ask you first. Well, I'm looking forward to my own show. Um, because <laughs> That was seamless, wasn't it? I don't know. Well, I, I mean, joking aside, I do, I do feel that, um, you know, as... Uh, a, a partner in this in this festival that I feel I you know I should be setting the example. I see. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like you know if if I can't take a risk and try something new, then um, why should anybody else? Yeah. And how can we ask people to do that? Yeah. So this this year, um, not only am I breaking away from theatre, breaking away from um, not only am I putting on a new show, I'm breaking away from theatre. Yeah. Uh, I'm do, I'm doing my first stand up show. It's a mix of stand up songs and sketches. Um, and it's called Gaiwa Professional Arsehole. Um, so, yeah, I really am uh, looking forward to, to doing that. I, I'm absolutely bricking it, if I'm honest. When do you open? 25th of March. Which, in in terms of this recording, that's what, about f- uh, three, four days away? Yeah, let's not count it that quite yeah. intensely, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and then there's the second performance on the 31st as well. Yeah. Um, so there's only, only two nights, uh, but it's a work in progress, and it will be going to Brighton Fringe as well. You see? Okay. So it's an opportunity to... 
for me to try out the material, um, see what works, see what doesn't, see whether the show flows as a whole as well, because that's quite important. You, you can do as many um, short slots in, in comedy nights as you like and try bits of material, but you'll never know if, a sh- if it's going to work as a show until you've got that, that, that journey and that audience in front of you for all of it. Well, you're using the word journey now, so we definitely have uh, reached uh, peak uh, Brighton. Um, is there another show that you're um, looking forward to as part of Hove Grown? Uh, I'm quite looking forward to the trials of Colonel Barker as well, uh, which is Rose Collis's rehearsed reading. Yes. Um, it is a really intriguing story. It's about yeah. a, a lady um, who was born as uh, Valerie Barker uh, and uh, ended life as um, Jeffrey something. Oh, flipping neck, his name's escaped me. Um, but she lived a large book of her life as uh, Victor Barker, the um, Sir Colonel. Victor Barker, um, and would have gotten away for it if it wasn't for her, her slash his love of money. Oh, okay. So it's a full two-hour play. It's a rehearsed reading. It's a little bit more than your standard rehearsed reading. Sure. So there's a there's a bit of moving around and a bit of sound and light and things going on as well. Um, so it's it's a really intriguing story, and it's um it's a story that needs to be told, and it's really good to see that at Hove Grown as well because that's a funded uh, piece. It's, yes. It's, it's a bit. It's a, it's been funded by the Arts Council for Rose to to redevelop that piece. Yeah. Um, so that she can then you know see how it how it works over two acts and turn it into something a bit more um uh i was gonna say fulfilled that's not the word what's the word i'm looking for i guess that they intend to fledged no no i guess there's a sense of um particularly at home growing i mean i've been at pains to say that even if the work is in progress it does not mean that it's deficient in any way but uh part of any performance is the audience and it matters not if your idea or your story is a brilliant idea, if it doesn't quite connect with the audience or if the audience really respond particularly to a, a particular aspect, then you know you've got something good there and that's what needs to be nurtured or, or indeed um, grown. Absolutely. Or even pruned. Indeed. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, talk. Uh, we're not going to talk about that, uh, but uh, are there shows, Sarah, that you're looking forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I'm really, I have three, uh, 13 shows uh, programmed at Sweet Venues. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's really tough to, to pick between them. Uh, one of the things I am absolutely looking forward to is uh, a thing called Men Without Friends. It's a, a representation uh, of three works by uh, Rob Cohen. It's great. Um, well. It's fantastic. So, High Viz, Something Rotten, and The Trials of Harvey Matuso uh, are three pieces that he's been working on for a while but wanting to bring them together because actually thematically uh they have a lot in common in terms of uh you know quite difficult characters uh you know to be around to be with uh and yet you know such creative and interesting lives that they live high viz is about uh quint who is a traffic warden who is being stalked by um an air rifle uh, air rifle person uh and so an air rifle person. well i couldn't think of the right i couldn't think of the right term uh but he's being stalked and and yeah. and it's it's looking at the life of quint uh then something rotten is rob's take on um Hamlet, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Claudius, yeah. Uh, and so we get to uh, we get to look into the life of Claudius, which we just don't in Hamlet itself, uh, and so you can feel Hamlet, the production happening around you, the story happening around you, but what we're seeing is backstage with Claudius and and how he and his court are dealing or not 
uh, as the case may be with uh, the with the actions that occur in the play. Yeah. Uh, and then the trials of Harvey Matuso. Uh, Harvey Matuso was uh, a McCarthyite supergrass um, and uh, was grassing up a whole load of. Um, supposed communist sympathisers uh, and he he's quite a, a big colourful character uh, who then later later on uh, after ha- in prison, ha- causing people to be imprisoned, perhaps lose their lives etc, he turns around and says that he'd made it all up um, so he's very definitely a man without friends um, So that these uh, shows from Rob Cohen they're, they're three Separate solo shows. Yes, yes, on separate nights. So we have High Viz on uh, the 29th, Something Rotten on the 30th, and uh, Trials of Harvey Matuso on the 31st of March. All right, and so uh, you can see one or two or uh, see three for a different price? uh, Yes, so there are ticket deals that we have. You can buy tickets to see all three in one go and so uh, save a little bit of money. I think this is going to be awesome. Uh, and I haven't seen the trials of Harvey Matuso yet, so I'm really looking forward to that. But that said, there's not a weak point in any of the 13 shows that, I, that I've programmed. No. Um, uh, it was actually one of the interesting things about it is that the shows are uh, distributed to the, between the four venues as democratically as we can. We get yeah. together as venue managers. Venue managers talk about the shows and the needs of the shows. What can the venue bring to those shows? Uh, do the companies have any relationships with any venues? Uh, and then try and sort it out that way so that no one venue is kind of dominating. Um, but also that the shows get sent to the venue that is best suited to their show. And I think that's really super important in terms of, you know, calling ourselves performer-led, that we, you know, really are trying to serve the show as king. That can be really easily forgotten, can't it? Especially in fringe theatre, that the venue is not, I wouldn't be so pretentious to say the, the final character in the piece, but it's definitely an integral part of your response to the show. Absolutely. Um, you know, our stage at the Jukebox is, I think, the, dimen- the performance space dimensions are something like 1.75 metres by uh, 3 metres, I think. Um, and that's a challenging performance space. Uh, there are projections that just cannot fit on our stage. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's OK. You know, I think it, it, it makes me really happy that there are shows that are being developed that have bigger needs and are, those needs are being met. Uh, and I think, you know, I want people to be able to create the sh- the right show, the show at its peak potential, rather than squishing it down and squashing it into a space that's perhaps not suited to it. I don't think that serves the, I don't think that serves the production in any way, shape or form. Sure. So, um, so that's uh, Hove Grown, uh, opens on the 24th of March. There's, yep. a, there's a launch uh, prior to that. Yes, there is on the 23rd uh, of March. Uh, at the Iron Duke, yeah. um, there'll be some performance and there'll be uh, uh, drinks and nibbles and and general meeting people. Fantastic. It's a net, lovely networking opportunity. And anyone's welcome to that. Yes. Fantastic, excellent. Um, oh, I guess I want to um, um, close our chat tonight. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, Go for it. Here's the thing. Um, wh- when I was a kid, right, when I was in, growing up in Croydon and I was waiting for a bus, um, I... Uh, used to get impatient because the bus would take about half an hour to turn up. Right. And eventually, you, against your better judgment, <laughs> you'd 
you decide, you know what, screw it, I'm, I'm going to start walking. And then when you're in a perfect distance between the two bus stops, eight buses would trundle past. Um, which was obviously slightly annoying. So at the age of 11, I, I, I invented the digital readout that tells you how long you're going to have to wait for your bus. Mm. And so you can make an informal decision as to whether you're going to wait or walk. So yep. I invented that, and, and, and indeed I was clearly beaten to the idea of that. Yes, and perhaps technically challenged. I, I have been called that before. <laughs> and... Um, also, I guess um, I won't speak about it now, but there are many sort of story ideas or film ideas or plot ideas that I've ha- had and then been beaten to by somebody who's already established <laughs> or actually has understood that the good thing about ideas is you actually finish them and write them down. Um, so yep. I guess what I wanted to ask you guys is what did you invent that somebody got to first or what idea, what book idea, film idea did you invent that somebody got to first? I- I've kind of sprung this on you. Um I don't know that I have no. one. Um, I mean, I, for a, on a slightly political note, I have to admit that for the entirety of my working life, I started, I, uh, because of the way the Australian school year works, uh, I started working uh, in December 1988 uh, and I started working for the local government uh, and, and public service. Uh, civil service, I guess, is the English equivalent. And, um, yeah, even then... We were, it was sort of the beginning of the cycles of, of downsizing or what was essentially going to be leading to austerity, um, you know, and, you know, my feelings about this, you know, having been through that process several times was all about, you know, economic rationalism is, you know, it is, you know, killing us, really. Yeah. Um, and it's not the friend of the creative. It's not the friend of anyone who is, you know, uh, how do you value you know, how do you value a person and how do you put a monetary value on that person or that person's time? Um, and, you know, now that we're in, you know, the age of the corporation, yeah, uh, that's played out entirely where, you know, every time that the tube breaks down or there's a strike or there's a storm or there's something that disrupts things... You know, the UK economy today lost £37.6 million. You're like, how the hell do you come up with that Mm. that figure? It's meaningless. You've just pulled that figure out of the air. It's bollocks. And, you know, and I think it's just used uh, to, for, you know, working towards the idea of, you know, profit making driven profit driven things all the time. I see. That was definitely a significantly more profound and angry answer. (laughs) Than I was expecting, which puts no pressure at all on Guy. Um, Funnily enough, I have a similar rant in my show. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> well, I, well I, we have uh, ranted each, at each other many, yeah, many times. Say, um, <laughs> pretty much meetings between me and Sarah when it comes to how I've grown, I spent most of the time as going, what's that word again? <laughs> and then as ranting about something. Yeah, so yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that's probably why it takes us so long to get things done. Well, um, yeah, so, but also why we work so well together. <laughs> yeah. The question earlier was about uh, what invention have you come up with or whatever. Um, and have you, did you have an invention in your childhood? Um, or? I, I had this thought at some point in the last week of something that's come out recently that I thought of and I can't for the life of me think what it is. I've just been racking my brain um, trying to figure out what it was. Do we need a TARDIS and, and to I, take you back to, yeah, to help I, you remember I, I, what that was? I can't remember whether it was... Uh, I really can't remember. Oh, my, act- my, my brain's going to photography, so I'm, I'm thinking it was. I was doing something with my camera and thinking, yeah, I maybe. wish I had this, I wish I had the you, other. You, you, you didn't invent the selfie stick, did you? 
Oh dear. Oh, not. How did you hang in your head in audio? <laughs> hang your head in like shame. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you, you sound like you just came up with. Well, no, I was just going to say actually hark back to something we were talking about when we were talking about Doctor Who and how you know the about the white male. Uh, the white male stereotype, yeah. etc., um, and and just it occurred to me that you know is it possible that the character of the Doctor has his chameleon circuit broken, and that's why he can't be anything other than a white male. That's I'm <laughs> pretty sure if that's not already in fan headcanon, I I'd be surprised. Um, you are now responsible for all the abuse Andrew's going to get. <laughs> Excellent. In the Doctor Who forum. That's all right. They'll come and stalk me at my theatre, which I don't mind as long as you buy a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I've got several responses to <laughs> several aspects of that, and it's not wise. And they're all—they're all wrong. Yeah, but they are all wrong. Um, oh. um I, I, this is a multifaceted question. Um, what book are you reading at the moment that we should get on, or what film are you have you oh, recently seen that you uh, really want to recommend to us? What? other podcast are you listening to at the moment that you really want to uh, ask to throw out what what theatre show have you seen in the past year or so that you know you'd want to recommend to us well I, I we um sarah and i had a meeting with um uh, one of our sponsors yeah and um our sp- we got chatting and we got ranting at this meeting <laughs> and um one of our sponsors uh very yes. kindly uh gave us this book uh not as a sponsor as i should put it as, 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 as a, an individual as an individual um and this lady had bought a book called who made adam smith's dinner uh, which is a a look at women in the economy or from an economic point of view okay uh, and I've only, I'm only up to about chapter two, if that. Um, sure. I've got to be honest. I took it. Uh, uh, she gave it to both. Gave it to both of us, and yep. Sarah took it. And I said, "Can I borrow that? That'd be really handy to research my show." Yeah. Um. I, and I've really got into it. It's it's really really interesting because it completely, um, uh, undoes all that stuff you were just ranting about, Sarah. <laughs> the, the stuff about the economy and putting a, a putting an, a, an economic. Um, value on people and lives yeah. and things like that, and it, it, it's it, it's really well done. And um, again, it forms forms it's, it's formed part of my set sure. um, as well. But it, it's it's a really interesting book. So that was that was that will be my my choice for book. So what, what was the name of that book again? It's called uh, Who Made Adam Smith's Dinner. Okay. Um, book wise, I haven't been reading a lot of books recently. I have to I have to shamefacedly admit. Uh, the last I'm just also trying to think. The last thing we went and saw in the cinema, I think, uh, was um, oh, is it Rogue One? Is Rogue that, One. Yeah, it is Rogue One. Yeah. Okay, so that's the last movie I went to see at the cinema, which my husband and I really uh, loved pieces um, and you know it was one of the first gritty war Star Wars films yes. it was awesome um, podcasts ironically because um, my husband is very very much into video games and games of all sorts yeah uh, so we listen uh, and I listen vicariously to uh, the co-optional podcast which sure. is run by uh, a a chap whose handle is Total Biscuit, uh, and uh, or TB to his friends, uh, and they just talk about the state of the state of the gaming world uh, and what they've been playing and what they're interested in uh, and any of the controversies that come up in uh, the gamer world. I'm uh, not so even going to ask you about Gamergate. That's um, oh yes, yeah. Let's not go there. Th- that, that's that's an hour all of its own. Of course. Or 
10 years really um but yeah it's just a fascinating it's just a fascinating look at the gaming world i i'm a bit of a gamer myself yeah uh and yeah it's just some, something interesting to have on in the background uh, and be listening to and uh yeah uh what else am i into oh actually theater wise yeah uh, a show that um given this is a podcast about theater so i'm assuming that that it's performers and but as well as theatre goers listening yeah. there is a show coming to us uh, to Sweet Venues during, in Brighton Fringe which I would thoroughly recommend uh, it's called Richard the Third oh, uh, yeah, a one yeah. woman show uh, and I believe you were busy the last time she was in town I was I was uh, and my I, own I absolutely uh, beg you to, to make yourself oh, I'm so excited about that show yeah. yes it is amazing it's performed in the round it's uh, one woman uh, performing as Richard III, uh, using utilizing the language uh, of Shakespeare, but performing it in a way that you've never seen it before. I get the vibe. It just seems to be, even just from the way you've spoken about it, the photos, it seems to be really visceral. Yes. Even, even just, just vocally, a really visceral hour. Yes, you're right. You're right there, right in the middle of it. Um, and it's she's very few props, very few you know crutches if you like it's yeah. just her and the audience you all get little labels that tell you who who you are representing i see you don't have to perform no you can just sit there quietly and and she'll riff with that or you can have a little interaction um but she just handles it beautifully her name is emily carding yeah uh the show is uh richard third a one-woman show and that's not part of her growing is it? that comes a bit no later. that comes as brighton fringe yeah. but you know when you t- when she came to us at the end end of June or just the week after Fringe yes, last right. year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I I think Brighton missed out on an opportunity. Uh, yeah. Really did. It's an award-winning, it's a multi-award-winning show across Prague. Two years running in Prague, Fringe, different awards won. Uh, it won uh, various awards in Edinburgh. Uh, and it's just... Just an amazing piece of work. Yeah, I'm genuinely looking forward to that. Uh, I have one last question for you guys. Um, This being, as you say, a Brighton-based theatre podcast, and it's a question that you may not want to answer. Uh, We like maybe a secret. You may, you may, you may (laughs) not want to give me this information at all. Um, Obviously, Brighton has lots of lovely coffee shops and bars and stuff where you can sort of um, go to write or chill out or Mm -hmm. just have a moment's peace. Which is why you don't want to answer this question. Where in where in Brighton are we likely to find you? Oh, I see. I, I tend to go to different places. I, I, I really tend to. to you, you're not loyal. Tend to put myself about a bit. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've, I've got to be honest. Everyone does know guy what. I've, I've, I've got to be honest. If I'm going for a short sit down somewhere. Um, and, and I know I'm only going to be twenty minutes or so. Yeah. I'll go to a local coffee shop. Sure. If I'm going to go and write, I'm going to buy one coffee and sit in Starbucks or Costa and make the most of my tax allowance. Against the man. Courtesy yeah. of them, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, I, and I'll stay in there for as, as long as I can. Um, but yeah, where it just purely depends on where I am, how much I can be bothered to walk. Um, we have a couple of nice local shops. Uh, my favourite local cafe is um, the Green Kitchen down on Preston Road uh, yeah. next okay. to uh, Preston Circus. Uh, it's a vegan cafe. Um, uh-huh. It's really nice stuff in there. Really friendly. It's very reasonably priced. I do yeah. do do like it in there. Um, and that's the Green Kitchen, did you say? The Green Kitchen. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sixteen on Sydney Street is my other one. It's a nice, nice, quiet little place. Yeah. 
uh, next couple of doors down from the Amnesty Bookshop. So oh, oh yes, of course, okay. yes. Go to the cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I used yeah, to yeah. when I was um, growing up in Croydon. I would have like about oh, I don't know three pounds uh, uh, that I might have to spend on a, a coffee. Back in the year the nineties, when that actually wasn't a thing, it was about a pound for a coffee. Yep. I genuinely would waste about two hours walking through around Croydon looking for a book because I physically was unable to sit down and have a coffee <laughs> without without, without something to read. But you were such a voracious reader, you were saying. You I know. even understood what the word voracious meant at an early age. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, um, where would we find you? See, I would love to say that I'm found in exotic locations and a variety of places around town. You're going to find me at the Iron Duke. Uh, that is, Which I, is of itself an exotic... <laughs> well, I guess, I guess. And I do love the Iron Duke. And it's not a sad thing that I'm there. But it is an indication of, of just how much time I spend in the Iron Duke that I'm there of an evening or yeah. during the day. Uh, if I'm, yes, if I'm not at home, I'm likely at the Duke. What's interesting about the Iron Duke, I guess, is that um, perhaps if you if you are not coming to the theatre, uh, you you have to hunt for it. It's not exactly it, it is off the beaten track somewhat. It is, it is, and it is. It's very much working to become a destination. Not that it's difficult to find, however. It, it's no. easy to find, but it's also next to the seafront. It is. So that, sometimes I will work there myself. Yeah. Well, uh, because it is next to the seafront, and especially on a nice summer's day. Or a spring day when it's yep. not ridiculously hot, you have the choice between going working on the beach or working from working from the Iron Duke. It's literally what about a minute's walk from the peace statue, I guess. Uh, two, two minutes because you've got to cross the road. I I stand corrected. <laughs> um, so that that's where we'd find you most of the time. Pretty much, um, yeah. Uh, it's it's a lovely environment. Lots of friendly locals. Lots of theatre types wandering in and out all the time during due to rehearsals, etc. Um, and some normal people. And some normal people, yes, on occasion. <laughs> Civilians, I think they're called. Oh, oh right, yeah. yes, sorry. Yeah. Civilians, yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah. What? Coffee's good, beer's good. It's all good. Fantastic. Uh, and, and the roasts are, are good as well, yeah. They are, they're awesome. They're really yummy. And they've just started up again. I know that's a little bit of an ad for, for the... For the place, but seriously, it was very subtle. It was ve- well, yes, but the food was so nice. Yeah, it was so yummy, and they've not been doing roasts for about six or nine months, which was such a such a sadness. Uh, but the ki- kitchen's been refurbished, yeah. and a new team is in the kitchen on Sundays. Nom nom nom. And I can verify they're raving about them under my nose. <laughs> oh. Bastards. Oh. Oh. And there's our final bit of editing for uh, our team. <laughs> Before we end the podcast, um, so uh, thank you so much, Guy Wa and Sarah Johnson. Thank you so much. Um, it's you. been a it's been a pleasure to speak to you both. Um, in future uh, podcasts, we hope to speak to indeed many of the people you may have mentioned for that past hour. Um, and uh, thank you uh, so much for for your time for listening. And we'll be back very soon with our next podcast. Thank you. Cast Iron Theatre Podcast, presented by Andrew Allen, edited by Michelle Donkin. Music is Chapstick by Everett Almond. Check us out at Twitter at cast underscore iron acts, Facebook, ironclad cast iron, all one word, and our website is castironweebly.com. Do we sing you a... <laughs> Sing you out? Yeah, go ahead. Sing us out. Go on, go. Ahead. But don't swear. Oh, oh. I, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah.